Maria Martinez Keel. And I'm Dale Denwalt. You're listening to The Source. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the Oklahomans' most impactful stories with the reporters who wrote them. While domestic violence hit peak numbers during the pandemic, plans have been underway to expand Oklahoma City's Family Justice Center. Reporter Jesse Christopher Smith is here in studio this week. Jesse, you reported on the expansion of Palomar, a domestic violence resource center, and that seems to be coming at a necessary time. Can you describe how big the need is for domestic abuse resources? Uh, Yes. Um, When I spoke with the uh, former CEO and now uh, chief vision officer and founder of Palomar, her name is Kim Garrett, she was telling me that before it even opened, uh, this was several years ago, five years ago, there were people that were coming up to the door and just banging on the door because they needed the help. She remembers, you know, legal aid, laying on the floor, helping people, you know, with paperwork. And this is where they had desks or anything, you know, just helping people fill out their paperwork. I have memories of before us opening, before we had like furniture, telephones, anything, um, we had people banging on the door and we literally hadn't even advertised or anything. There was just such a huge demand for our services that I remember uh, legal aid attorneys on the floor like helping them sort their um, legal paperwork and file them. It's expanded. The need has expanded incredibly in tandem with Palomar's own expansion over the last five years. You're correct. It comes at a very significant time um, during the pandemic we saw the numbers explode. There had been a huge fear that because of the stressors, because of the fact that people were more close together and could not go anywhere else, that that would make people susceptible to domestic violence, either as perpetrators or as victims. And the data certainly shows that. And can you tell us a little bit about that scope? In 2020, we saw just an exponential uh, growth in the rate of domestic violence and domestic abuse in Oklahoma City proper. If I remember correctly, the number of calls in 2021 last year alone for domestic violence was over 39,000. And I know that in Oklahoma County alone, the actual rate of fatalities related to domestic abuse doubled. We went from having a basically consistent rate of 15 homicides related to domestic violence to suddenly having 29. And so that's just for Oklahoma County alone. And for the surrounding counties, I imagine it's the same. We have seen domestic violence hit a a peak that it hasn't hit in 10 years. Jess, you spoke with a victim of domestic abuse who received services from Palomar. Tell us about her story and how she was able to get help. Yes, I spoke with a a woman named Natalie Seiden. She is 38. In late 2020 and early 2021, she was pregnant a second time with the child of her abuser. She said that the abuse was becoming so bad that she was actually beginning to worry about her health and the health of her unborn child. And so when the domestic abuse got so bad that DHS actually got involved, she and the abuser and her child were all displaced from their home because of the proximity of where the violent incident occurred. She ended up needing the services of Palomar when it came to trying to find housing, affordable housing, which during the pandemic, as we all remember, was very difficult. The pandemic actually slowed the the process down for her voucher being um, properly authorized and recognized for her apartment. And she ended up having to go through a couple of bouts of homelessness as she was trying to secure that affordable housing. She ended up eventually securing the affordable housing earlier this year, around March. Palomar actually helped her also with its community partners furnish the apartment. They're now currently helping her for daycare for her two children now and 
Also, she's now going to school at Rose State College to be a respiratory therapist. Uh, so she's doing really well now, but um, in late 2020, early 2021, last year, it, it didn't look that way. But she's, she's much happier now. Yeah, and I've visited Palomar for a story that I did a couple of years ago, and I think it's really uniquely situated. The, the whole purpose is to get as many resources in the same building. You have the police department for victims who want to file a police report or try to procure a victim's protective order. Uh, you have legal aid in the building. You have the YMCA providing women's resources in the building. I think there's even animal aid for, for people who have pets um, that they want to try to secure um, when they're in that kind of crisis situation. So there's all kinds of resources all in the same building, which is sort of the, the purpose of it. And plans have been in the works since 2019 to build a bigger version of Palomar. So tell us where that money is coming from and where the new building is going to be. Yeah, the the expansion that you were talking about is part of the Mats 4 project for Oklahoma City. Mayor Holt, when he was at the ceremony for Palomar's fifth anniversary, he announced there that they were indeed going to fulfill the $38 uh, million investment into Palomar. This had been in place since 2019, before the pandemic, but uh, now that the project is fully underway, um, we know that the temporary facility for Palomar, which is located in Midtown, Oklahoma City, will now be permanent. I think it's always important to say, like, we're not getting a $38 million check from the city. It will be a building that we get to operate. They are going to build that bigger facility, that bigger justice center in the current parking lot uh, in Midtown. It's going to probably break ground, according to what I was told, in 2023 and then hopefully finish by 2024. So it's a pretty fast process. Um, but Kim Garrett is very certain that that uh, will happen. They're going to try to model it after the Family Justice Center in Nashville, Tennessee. The Family Justice Center model, as you said, the main idea for it is to have all these different agencies and nonprofits and partners under the same roof together to provide services for people who really need it to sort of streamline the process for all this. That Family Justice model actually started many, many years ago by Casey Gwynn. It was sort of pioneered uh, by Casey Gwynn of the... Uh, Alliance for Hope International. He started that Family Justice Center model, and he actually spoke at the event, heralding it as a as a huge moment in Oklahoma City and really nationwide for the fight against domestic violence because he himself was a survivor of it when he was a child. He had a, a father who had bipolar disorder, suffered from addiction to alcohol. Uh, his father often took his uh, stress out on his children, um, and he said as he grew up that he had to let go of a lot of resentment and pain and anger and feelings of betrayal um, in order to truly grow as a person. Honestly, he says that, you know, if Oklahoma City is able to do this, that would be the, the actual real example of criminal justice reform that he would like to see across the nation. Uh, but he thinks that Oklahoma City could be the, the center of it. When you mention event, you mean the unveiling of uh the plans for the expanded Palomar. Yes, that that was the whole nexus of the fifth anniversary event, which is also where this planned expansion was also announced. How would a, a bigger, newer building impact the, the services that Palomar and their partners are able to provide? Uh, in your story, you wrote that they have 42 community partners. I mean, is this a situation where they're all cramming into one small building right now? Well, it was before. Um, it, was, it was very much that way. Perhaps it's better to explain by going back in time a little bit and explaining how this all started. Kim Garrett used to be uh, an employee for the city of Oklahoma City. She worked closely with the police in an attempt to help victims of domestic violence because she saw the need. Around that time, 2015, 2016, the numbers already then were beginning to skyrocket. 
plenty of people in the police department were looking at different models of how to provide these services. And she had the idea of modeling it, like I said, after the Family Justice Center movement, which had been growing over the last decade, but they needed to do it quickly. And so basically it grew from like this really small nonprofit, maybe 15 partners to over the course of five years to this huge uh, collaborative effort in the city with over 40 partners now who are often using that temporary base as an unofficial headquarters through which that they can provide these services uh, directly and immediately to the people who come into the Justice Center. And so expanding the Justice Center, making it bigger, making it a better building, making it a permanent facility is definitely going to help um, mitigate and ameliorate uh, the issue of domestic violence in the city because it will allow, frankly, um, streamlined services, uh, probably more innovative programming. People won't have to pay rent anymore. They can just use that center as a, as I said, as a base for their headquarters. And so they can spend that money that they would usually have in their budget for rent and, and real estate. They could just now disperse in, in a different way and, of course, provide more services. It's saying to the community that, you know, survivors belong here. Like, you're a part of our community and we're going to help you heal. So I think that's really... Um, the key to this this whole new facility is that, frankly, it's just going to be much better for all the community partners and therefore better for the people who need the services. Your story highlighted the fact that there's really no stereotypical domestic abuse survivor. So what do we know about the victims in Oklahoma City and throughout the state? Uh, thank you for asking that. Yes, a lot of my interview with Kim Garrett actually dove into the reality that domestic abuse doesn't discriminate. Half of the, well, nearly half, of the victims that we know of who have suffered domestic violence over the years are actually male. In fact, half of the clients of Palomar's services are also men. We know that disproportionately speaking, black people, people of indigenous descent, uh, people of Latino descent are heavily impacted by domestic violence. It's interesting because when she was talking to me about it, she often goes into detailing the reality of like how sheer the scope of it is and how hard it is it can be for people to grasp it. She often uses a map of, of Oklahoma City, all of its different wards, which show like the number of calls that have happened. As I said uh, earlier, you know, number of calls was 39,000 last year. What she usually says to naysayers is she shows the map and she shows how literally the calls are from everywhere in the city. Not just one community, not just one neighborhood, not just one part of the city. It's literally everywhere. Every single ward, every single community, every single neighborhood. When you show that and you illustrate that, then you start to really understand how bad the need is for these type of services and how bad the issue truly is. At Palomar's anniversary celebration, Mayor David Holt said that the only way to stop domestic violence is to talk about it openly. Others who spoke that day had uh, said similar things. How concerned are people about uh, the backlash against things like the Me Too movement and uh, what we've seen from you know abuse allegations and uh, pop culture? No, that is a really great question. When I spoke with Garrett about it, she talked about it under the term systemic denial. I think over the years, we had a culture that was just very accustomed to a certain way of approaching people, behaving towards people, treating people. That was before. Now, over the last several years, especially with COVID in mind, I think, especially with the death of George Floyd, especially with the situation with Harvey Weinstein, situation with Bill Cosby, and other situations like that, I think we've realized that the culture that we had before, we can no longer go back to. And so I think that, frankly, even though that we do have the issue of that systemic denial, the more and more we expose the reality of what people are going through, 
um, through our journalism, through talking about um, the high rate of domestic violence, we are able to expose the truth of just how bad the issue actually truly is. And the more and more people are willing to accept it, the more and more we can do something about it. And um, I don't think that there is the the built-in concern necessarily that people don't believe in it. Um, I think it's just like a concern of like, are we exaggerating it? No, we're not exaggerating it. We saw the calls. We've seen the number of deaths. We just have to do the work of dispelling that notion that people are lying when they say that they are victims. We have to do the the work of taking the allegations seriously, taking the stories seriously, investigating them for what they're worth, and then exposing the truth, whatever that is. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us this week, and thanks for covering this issue. This podcast is possible because of the Oklahoman subscribers. We encourage you to subscribe if you can. You can read these stories and more every day in the Oklahoman and at oklahoman.com. Check back next Friday for a new episode.